Last week was about a healthy picture of when the gospel shared and the result of that, people who receive the gospel, what healthy looks like. This week we're getting a little bit more specific. That was about community and about the big picture. Peter was preaching to a whole heap of people and then what the community looked like. And this week we're, we're going a little bit down into specifics. And I'm just going to start in Acts 3 verse 1. This week I'm reading from the NLT, just in case you're wondering, a little easier to digest. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Now, firstly, we're sort of captivated by the beautiful gate. For those that were there, it was just a description of one specific gate that was made out of brass. The others weren't made out of brass. This one was. So it's not, um, there's nothing cryptic about the message. Modern day people don't call any of the gates the beautiful gate, but they've sort of put it together and went, that one's different to the rest. So they were probably referring to that gate. So there isn't, as far as scholars are aware, any deep theological message in the fact that it was the beautiful gate. It was descriptive. That's useful to know. But Peter said to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. In the name of, we hear that phrase a bit in scripture and we use that phrase. Mel used it when she prayed. In the name of Jesus, we pray for, for healing. We declare healing. We pray in the name of. Now, for us, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of Christianese, but culturally, to say something in the name of someone means to represent their authority and their power, but also to represent their character and nature. So if I was, say, you know, in the name of Jeremy, it would not be only the authority that he has, so I could talk to Asher in the name of Jeremy, and as his son, he would go, okay, I know the authority is coming from my father, but also, he goes, I know the nature and character of my father. And so when you're talking about this, you're representing his authority and his character. And it's important to remember that. So to heal in the name of Jesus was to heal in both Jesus' authority and character. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in Jesus' authority and character. It's not actually a magical phrase. It's not if you put it on the end, all of a sudden, zimzolabam, what you pray changes. It's actually about the posture of the prayer. It's about the posture of the healing, that it isn't a mystical thing to say. It's actually on whose authority the words are coming out of your mouth. And there's nothing wrong with saying it. 
to remind those listening and to remind yourself of the posture of what you're praying, it's sometimes really good to say, hey, remember, this prayer is not in my authority, not in your authority, but we come as children of God in the authority of Jesus. So it's good to remember it, but it doesn't actually magically change it if you say it or don't say it. But for Peter, he wanted to make it very clear whose authority and character he was healing this lame man. Verse 7, Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, that was the, the outer courts, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected the holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah that he must suffer these things now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away how cool are Peter and John like really you think about it they were they were full of grace they had compassion for this man and yet they were absolutely driven and motivated and had purpose. Like the two sort of, you see in this picture, sort of go together. Peter and John, they gave them the man their full attention. They looked at him intently. They took him by the hand and helped him up. The man was in the temple holding tightly to Peter and John. Like I think that's a really beautiful picture. He's just been healed and yet, he's still a little unsteady on his feet. And he's getting a lot of tension that he didn't expect. And then Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. Like just their focus and attention and, and, and synergy with the Holy Spirit to just be responding in the moment. It's really cool. But what I want to look at is the clear contrast that this passage paints between brokenness and righteousness 
And there's a bunch of clear differences. So firstly, the man is lame from birth and then he's walking, leaping and praising God. Now you might go, hang on, how is lame from birth got anything to do with sin? It, It actually doesn't and Jesus addresses this. But culturally, there was an assumption that if you were born lame, your parents must have done something wrong. There must have been some sin that God is punishing you for because you were born lame. So this isn't just a guy that happened to be sick. Being lame from birth is significant. It's significant that he was lame from birth and it is significant that he was walking and leaping and praising God on this day. There's a massive contrast. The second one was people looked at Peter and John and they, the assumption was they were amazed by their power and godliness. And Peter corrects that thought very clearly and says, "Uh, uh, uh, uh. it's nothing to do with us. Don't look and be amazed at us. This is about faith in the name of Jesus. There's a huge contrast. There's the the elevation of humans and then there's the elevation of Jesus. And, And they're completely different. The third one is he reminds them that their leaders handed over and rejected Jesus before Pilate. Even though Pilate's decision was to release him. So they still, they pursued, Pilate's position was saying, no, 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 he's done nothing wrong. And they were like, no, 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 we still want to put put him ahead. We still want to push him forward. They demanded the release of a murderer and rejected the holy righteous one. Let's release a murderer back into our community rather than embrace the holy righteous one in our community. We want to get rid of this one from our community and embrace this one. Massive contrast. They killed the author of life but God brought him back from the dead. The agenda was to kill the author of life. Just think about that. Killing the author of life. And yet God raised him from the dead. And he repeats, you know how crippled he was before. You know this person. You saw how crippled he was. And yet faith in Jesus has healed him. Massive contrast. And the last one I'm pointing out is that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But now, and I've added this in, this isn't in scripture, but the assumption is now that you're no longer ignorant, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Most of these contrasts can't coexist. They're not designed to happily sort of fit together. They're actually opposing each other. As my gran would say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. The Bible describes sin as an infected wound. It's a yucky, festering thing that's not helpful in life 
as a burden too heavy to carry, as something that is defiled, as a debt, something that's owed, as darkness, as a, as a crimson stain that you can't get out. This contrast between the righteousness, the good, and the brokenness points to how different they are, how much they're not meant to fit together. I want to use an illustration to explain this. I've got two bottles of water here. Now, they're slightly different bottles of water. They're not the same. Can anyone spot a difference? What's the difference? One is open, one's not. That one's not full. One's a black lid, one's a blue lid. That's a reference for me. I need to know the difference between these two. So this one's new. You can hear it crack. It is a brand new bottle of water. Can I drink this bottle of water? Yeah? It's okay? Beautiful water. Representing righteousness. This water <clears throat> is from my toilet. <laughs> Absolutely. Before I cleaned it. Actually, interesting problem, seen as you asked, because the bottle doesn't actually fit. No, no, it's from the bowl. I, I used a ladle. <laughs> you, you asked. So how much of this can I pour in here and still be okay? Just a little bit. Is it okay? No, it's not. Absolutely. There's nothing about putting this in here that's okay. And you go, but it was only a little bit. It's not a lot. It's not okay. It's yuck. It's not drinkable. It's not good for me. Mixing sin and righteousness is not okay. It happens. We all do it. This water isn't actually perfect. We realize that. But the idea of being okay and saying it's, it's not a problem... I don't mind having a little bit of sin. I'm comfortable with it. I'm it happens. We all sin. None of our water is pure. And I said last week, the aim is not perfection. And we've got to keep this intention. But there is no circumstance where saying it's okay to have toilet water in your drinking is good, is okay. Because we desperately need to avoid getting comfortable and complacent about sin. The lame man is a real-life story, but Peter uses it to illustrate spiritual healing. His story actually explains the brokenness of the situation of what was happening with Jesus. We would all say it would be absolutely crazy if he healed the lame man and the lame man chose to be carried 
to the beautiful gate every day and beg again and sit there. We'd go, that's just insane. Why would you do that? Why would you not use your, your healing, your new freedom and actually walk in freedom rather than going back to the old way that you were restricted and you were restrained because of your sickness? So why do we accept God's grace and mercy and healing and forgiveness and an intimate relationship with him but then justify our sin at the same time? Why do we say that's okay? Because it's not right. It's not drinkable. It's not how it should be. We excuse and justify our bitterness towards people our complacency, our selfishness, our resentment, our desire for comfort and convenience, our lust, our greed, our pride, these things in our life we actually get comfortable with and find excuses and justifications for. Do you know how many times I've heard the phrase, I was sensing God was wanting something and then it's followed by excuse why I didn't do it. I actually, on a weekly basis probably, I hear that phrase from people. I was sensing God was saying this, but I was not sure if it was the right time and so I didn't do anything about it. I was sensing that God wanted me to share with this person, but I was a bit embarrassed and so I didn't do it. Why? Do we keep tipping water in here and say it's okay? Oh, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Doesn't really matter. It's mostly good. I'm just putting a little bit in. There's a mentor of mine that has a phrase that he uses for his teenage, and they're not teenagers or young adults now, but when they were, and I'm not going to, say it as good as he did to me but it's along the lines of you can choose your actions but you can't choose the consequences I will be there for you in your choices but I won't undermine the consequences of those choices I will be there for you in your choices but I won't undermine the consequences of those choices so if you get caught drink driving I will pick you up in the middle of the night I will sit with you when the judge makes his ruling, but you've got to live with the judge's ruling. If you have an argument with your boyfriend, you can come and try on my shoulder at any time and debrief, but you're going to have to go and mend the brokenness you created in that circumstance. I'm not going to do that for you. I have to admit, I was actually pretty gutted last week after the service. And I'm here standing as a spiritual father in this house saying the same thing to you guys. I am absolutely 100% here for you and I will stand with you no matter what decisions you make. But at the same time, each of us have to live with the consequences of our choices. Last week I was convinced that God had some really deep work he wanted to do. 
and I shared what I felt like God wanted me to share and invited the opportunity to respond and to receive prayer in that space. And I'm not here to judge individuals and your heart posture, I don't know that. But I don't think we did what God wanted us to do last week, for those that were here. I don't think it happened. And and I'm not here to understand your individual position, but I think we missed out. I think there was a gap between what God wanted to do and where we landed. And that's okay. God is gracious. He is merciful. There's a passage that I was reminded of this week from Luke 19. And this is Jesus in his last days heading into Jerusalem. And he says, But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. And he concludes in verse 24 with, because you did not recognise it when God visited you. It's absolutely not too late for us. Please don't hear me. But being a Jesus follower is not compatible with our pride. They don't fit together. You can't say I'm prideful and pour a little bit of pride into the mix and say it's still a beautiful bottle of drinking water. True freedom is not compatible with our complacency. Sharing everything that God has invested in our lives isn't compatible with selfishness. The the last line of this passage in Acts 3 is awesome. It says, When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. We don't like talking about sin that much because it's yucky. And yet it is fundamental and central to the gospel of Jesus and to our, our response. We are free people. Do you believe in the name of Jesus? Do you? Yes. Do you believe in the name of Jesus? Because yes. it means that there's no more excusing our sin. It means there's no more justifying our brokenness. It means that there's no more embracing our selfishness like it's okay. You have been forgiven in the name of Jesus. You have been given new life in the name of Jesus. That is in the power and the nature of Jesus Christ. And Jesus and Peter and the disciples would say, turn from your sinful ways and be blessed. Don't try to hold on to the sinful ways and the blessing at the same time. They're not compatible with each other. There is no need to be living with a mindset of being a spiritually crippled person begging at a gate for a few dollars. Sometimes that's our spiritual mindset. And my response to you today is in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
Don't have to wallow in it. Jesus compensates for this. Let's not behave crippled as free people. Let's not lock ourselves up back in jail. That's not why we were set free. We have been healed and set free to be walking and leaping and praising God. And yet we we have perspectives that pull us down from that, that suppress that. And I don't think that's God's journey for us. I'm not here to berate you at all. I'm here to say walk in the freedom that God paid the price for by sacrificing his son. There is no need to hold on to them both. Don't justify it. Hate sin like God hates sin. It's forgiven. It's dealt with. But don't embrace it like a safety blanket. Don't hold on to it like it's familiar and your friend. It is not your friend. It is toilet water in your life. Despise it. Reject it. Push it away. Have nothing to do with it. As God reveals things to you, not in your own strength, not because we're pursuing perfection, but because we want to embrace the walking and the leaping and the rejoicing God that being spiritually healed and restored and set free is for us. We have so much more than we expect. I want to finish with a quote that I heard from John Tyson yesterday. Brilliant message this past week, by the way, from uh, John Tyson. I'm not trying to say God's harsher than we thought. No, no, no. God's vision and purpose is more beautiful than we can comprehend. I love this phrase. God isn't more harsher than we thought. He wants to bless us. He wants us to live an abundant life. But if we want to have the freedom of the abundant life, we have to get rid of the sin. We have to do what Jesus did on the cross And that is agree that it needs to die. It's not ours to carry anymore. Now, I don't know what that means for you personally. I know there's things in my life that as I've prepared this week, I've gone, okay, God, that had become part of my identity. I was okay with me being broken in that way. It doesn't mean instantly that's going to be solved. And those things are going to disappear because all of a sudden they've come to my attention. But I'm going to treat them the way that they deserve. They're a festering wound in my life. And what do you do with a festering wound? You nurse it back to it not being there. You put antiseptic on the wound because you don't want that to be there anymore. You want the wound to be healed. And we need to shift our perspectives to say, sin is a festering wound that I want healing for. It doesn't belong there. It's not who I am. It's not who Jesus saved. It's not where he wants me to end up. There's things in our lives that are festering wounds for many years. Does that grieve us? Is that that really sad? Because that saddens me. When when you're free, 
that no longer belongs to you. It's not yours. There's so much more on the other side. But we've got to accept and agree that it's not meant to be there. I'm just going to pause for a second. I think we missed last week. Last week's gone. It's happened. But we can absolutely learn. It's not wasted. It's a fantastic opportunity to go, hey, I don't want to miss what God is doing. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to see myself as a restored, redeemed person that God sees me as. He has paid the price completely. That sin doesn't belong to me anymore. It's not mine. I'm going to put the betadine on the wound. It's not going to disappear instantly, but I'm going to invest in healthy, in whole, in free mat. I can't make your choices for you, but I can say that I'm convinced that's God designed for your life. He wants you to be a whole, free, living the abundant life that he wants you to live. And that sin doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to carry. Give it to him. Work through it. Get people around you. Get accountability. It's not about perfection. It's about being on God's page. Desiring and wanting to be and see and experience what God wants you to be and see and experience. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this lame man. He doesn't even have a name that we know of. And yet 2,000 years after he was physically set free, we can imagine what it is to be walking and leaping and praising God. And Lord, as we visualise that, I pray your spirit would move in our hearts. Lord, I pray you would reveal because you love us the things that separate us from you. The things in our hearts and our minds that distort your truth, your love, your freedom, your restoration, our intimacy with you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us with our choices today. Holy Spirit, I pray you would help us with our patterns of justifying and explaining and excusing things that aren't of you. In our weakness, Lord, we cry out to you to be our strength. Lord, we know we can't do this on our own. Lord, we know we've tried before. Lord, I especially pray for those that are feeling trapped right now, Lord God, that they don't see a way out of the things that they know are in their heart aren't right. 
Lord, I pray for your compassion and your mercy right now. Just pray for your love for each one here, Lord God. That people would know that they are safe with you today. That like Peter and John, they can lean on you today. And you will not let them down. You will not desert them. You will not abandon them in their weakness. But you will come and you will restore and you will renew and redeem that which you died for. Lord, we pray today in the name of Jesus, your power and your character and nature at work in this place. That you will heal that which is broken. And we would be a people that walk and leap and praise God. In Jesus' name.